0: We are concluding this series of, ser- of sermons called The Costly Journey, where we followed Luke's uh, tales of Jesus as he went from, uh, from Galilee down through Judea into, into Jerusalem and faced the cross. And, of course, uh, we know what happened on Good Friday, but amen. New life is here with us in Jesus Christ as he rose from the dead. And we're going to read a very familiar passage for a lot of people. Uh, coming from the, uh, Luke 24. And those of you online, glad you're joining in with us and, and appreciate your presence here uh, as we uh, honor the Lord Jesus together. You know, the word of the Lord is found in the good news according to Luke. Now, on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had, that had happened had happened. While they're talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He answered them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus from Nazareth." who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes and besides all this is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning and when they did not find His body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who had said that He was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as a woman had said, but they did not see Him. Then He said to them, "'Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have declared! Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into His glory?' Then begin with Moses and all the prophets." They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and the companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told how what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. For those of you that have been uh, traveling along with me during this journey of Lent, you have heard me say that I have given up the news for Lent. And I am a much calmer person because of it. And and I don't know if I'm going to get back to that or not. Because, you know, as we see in the headlines, and I have been able to see them, they scroll across my phone, uh, there's a lot of bad news out there, isn't there? There's a lot of things that cause us to be depressed or angry or sad. There's a lot of things in the news that cause us much trouble and much heartache and sorrow. But I'm here to tell you today, we are learning and hearing again about the best news that has ever been proclaimed. That Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So, uh, let's repeat that again. The, the phrase that we say at Easter, if you hear nothing else, remember this. The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. That's great news. That's great news. And, and that's what we're here to proclaim. But as we look at this tale of the walk to Emmaus, we see that these guys were overwhelmed with sad news. With, with news that, that broke their hearts. We uh, see that this disciple named Cleopas, who we don't know really who he is. He may have been uh, the husband of a woman named Mary, who stood at the cross because there's a fellow there named. Cl- she was uh, uh, identified as the wife of Clopius, but so they may be the same person. We don't know. We don't know who he is, but he was described as a disciple of Jesus. And there's this other disciple that they were walking along on the road to Emmaus. They were leaving Jerusalem. They are downcast. They were literally going towards the sunset. That's where we believe Emmaus is, is is heading west of Jerusalem. They're going uh, to the sunset, and the darkness was behind them. And they were talking about what had happened in Jerusalem over the past few days. They recalled how this person, Jesus. Remember, they're called disciples of Jesus. So that means that they're followers of Jesus. And they were saying to themselves, you know, we have given our lives to follow after this guy for the last three years. We, we read in, in Luke 10, where Jesus sent out 72 disciples to go and, and proclaim the good news of who he was. And they may have been one of these 72, or two of these 72. So, they said, we have given up everything. We have, have literally dedicated our lives to Jesus. We have left everything behind and everything that we thought hoped he would be has been crushed, has been vanquished, that these religious leaders uh, have taken him and given him to the Romans and had him executed. Everything that we had hoped for has been taken from us. We thought he was the one that was going to liberate our people from the oppression of the Roman army and the Roman conquerors. We thought he was going to be the one that set the people free. When we cheered for him on Palm Sunday like we did last week, you know, remember those of us that were here or at a church where they waved palm branches? We thought that we were celebrating this Jesus that was going to come in and take care of all of our problems. And yet now He's dead. And all they could think about was the disappointment, the defeat, the despair of what had occurred in the past several days. And as they're walking along, a mysterious stranger appears next to them. We don't know how. He must have been walking pretty fast. He caught up with them. And he says to them, hey, what are you all talking about? You're going to interrupt the conversation. And they they were so disturbed that this guy didn't know what was going on. They stood still and they said this, have you given up the noose for Passover? Haven't haven't you heard what is going on? Well, what happened, he said. Well, this Jesus of Nazareth. This guy who, you can hear them telling the story. He came in, uh, you know, just a week ago. He came in, riding in, and everyone was cheering him because we thought he was the one, because of his power and because of what what he could do, that he was going to redeem Israel. He's going to liberate us. He's going to free us from the oppression of the Romans. He was going to put those religious leaders in their place. He was going to show us the way to be free. And then they said, you know, these women—they're spreading around some fake news. They're saying that Jesus rose from the dead, and how—how how could that happen? How can that happen? And then, the story goes that this mysterious stranger began to unlock the scriptures for them, beginning with Moses and going through uh, the Old Testament, through the prophets, and and he began to tell them that you know what you saw and heard in Jerusalem about this Jesus, this is exactly what was supposed to happen with the Messiah. Are are you slow to heart? Can you understand what is happening? Can you understand that this is what God intended from the very beginning, that God had some greater plan for the Messiah than just to liberate a nation from the oppression of a dominating army? No, this Messiah came to liberate people from their hopelessness and their fear, their sin, and their death. Did you see what it said? That when they got to, to their destination in Emmaus, and this mysterious stranger said, I'm going to keep going. And they said, no, it's getting dark. And, and hospitality was a, it was a key value in Middle Eastern culture. Still is. So eat dinner with us. And in the breaking of the bread, and this is a story that you can use at communion. In the breaking of the bread... Because that's how we know Jesus powerfully, as we did on Thursday night. He's made known to him, and then he disappeared. And they said our hearts were burning within us as he unlocked the scriptures to us. And then they did something really crazy. They left behind dinner, which is something sometimes is kind of crazy to do. And they... Went into the danger of the darkness because y'all, it's not safe to walk along a road in that time. There's bandits and thieves, and you know, some, some people could do them harm. And they ran back the seven miles to Jerusalem. That's going to be nothing for Melissa. Melissa's doing 20 miles, 26 miles here soon. She could do that seven miles easy. But they're running in sandals on rocky roads. Just tell the people there, we've seen the Lord. What a great story. And it's more than a story. It's something that Jesus exactly wants to do for you, to give you the truth about this incredible news that Christ has risen, and he wants to give to you the truth about yourself, give you a passion for living, wants to give you hope no matter what. First of all, you you see what Jesus did? He he dispelled the fake news. You know, we've heard that term uh, recently, fake news. And and there's all sorts of rumors about what fake news is. I'm not going to get into all that. But he said this, you know, you've been mistaken all along about what the Messiah is about. You have been thinking that this Jesus has come to fulfill your wishes and to fulfill your desires. And we've got to understand that Jesus comes to show us that the truth about who God is, is that we don't accept God on our terms, but we accept the Lord on His terms and what He intends for us. And to say that we are claiming Jesus to fulfill our political ambitions or to achieve our our goals and our, our desires... Is selling God short. For God has something far greater in mind for us than to achieve any political victory or to gain any material blessing. For God has come to give us a life that's filled with joy and peace and a purpose so that we can with our lives demonstrate love. It's not to say that this beautiful world isn't important. It's not. God created it. But what God is saying to us is, I have given you all these things to glorify me with your lives. My favorite scripture text, you've heard me say this, many of you all, is that it's from Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine for others so they may see your good works. Why? So they can give glory to your Father in heaven. We're blessed materially. And we seek after the goodness of God. So why God can use us to bless others and thus give glory to the one who blessed us. We don't accept God on our own terms. We don't ask for blessings just to receive them. We get our blessings to be conduits of God's goodness to the world. And anything else would be fake news. We don't pray to get blessed so we can just receive it and hold it. No, we pray to get blessed so that we can give. I did listen to the news. And one time when I was watching the news, this is very interesting. It was from the BBC, y'all, from rural DeKalb County, Alabama. And of course, I'm very familiar with uh, Actually, that's the Yankee part of the state. It's up north. <laughs> and it tells a story of a, a farmer that had recently passed away. And that wouldn't be the big news, but it got out after his death that a fellow named Hody Childers, for many decades, had been going secretly month after month to the little locally owned drugstore store and given money to the proprietor of the drugstore and said listen don't tell anybody this but if anyone needs the prescriptions filled and can't afford it here's the money and the druggist who told the story after hody passed away said all he said to tell the people when they asked where the money come from said it's a blessing from the lord it's a blessing from the lord Hody Childers quietly used what God had given him, the blessings that he had received because he was a very successful farmer to give glory to his Father in heaven. And he followed after all the admonition of Jesus, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And also give in secret so that your Father in heaven who sees in secret can reward you in heaven. you know, we hear this truth from Jesus. He he said, when he's talking to those disciples, you don't accept me and my blessings and accept me on your own terms or for your own usage. No, whatever you get, whatever you receive, whatever you seek after is for my glory and to make known the living Jesus. But he says this other truth, this other truth, That's something that I hope that we can grasp with all of our lives. And it's revealed in how he unpacks all these scriptures. You know, when you graduate from seminary, you're supposed to be smart, or at least look smart. So... Since I'm a hot dog lover and and from the deep south and lower Alabama, you know, it's hard for me to be smart, but I can look smart. So, I wanted to buy lots of books so that I could have them on my shelf so people say, gosh, he looks smart. And and so, you know, I've got a lot of books in my office now, but that's only about a third of the books that I did have at one time. I mean, I bought all sorts of books. So, when people came into my office, man, he looks smart. And and so, when I was graduating from seminary, I'd heard a whole lot about this fellow named Carl Barber. Carl Bart. There's a few of y'all that have, have heard of him. And he, he was a man that talked a lot about God and the nature of the church. And he wrote some volumes called The Church Dogmatics. And I said, you know, I need to have those on my shelf so I can look smart. So, I went into the, the bookstore. It's a pretty internet day. So, I went down to the bookstore there at, at Emory University. And I said, I'd like to buy Carl Bart's Church Dogmatics. And the proprietor looked at me kind of surprised. He said, he said you want to buy all of them? I said, well, yeah. I, you know, I thought it would be a couple of volumes. He said, okay, that'll be $600. $600 back then was a whole lot of money. It's still a whole lot of money for books. I said, cancel that order. How many books are we talking about? He wrote 12 volumes about the nature of God and who Jesus is and, and how a salvation happens, and he talks about the proclamation of the church called the Kerygma. I did read a couple of them. Okay, it's so a Kerygma, that's the proclamation of the church. He wrote volumes of stuff. And one time, this leader of the Reformed Church or the Reconciling Church in, in, in Germany during the time of, of Hitler. Uh, who was a brilliant scholar, taught in Switzerland for years, was asked, "Tell me, what's this Christian faith all about?" I mean, here's this guy. Is, I mean, that, as long as this pew. That's as long, I mean, that's all these words he wrote about all these things. And, and here's what he ended up saying: "Tell me about what the what the Christian faith is." He said, "This: Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the truth." That Jesus was unpacking for those first disciples. He said, starting with Moses and going through the prophets, and we don't know the scriptures that he was unpacking, but you can imagine that he, he was saying, You remember how Moses was called up to the mountain and God said, I've seen my people in bondage and slavery? You can see him saying, You know, that's what the Messiah was. He God said, I see my people in bondage and slavery to send and to death, and i sending my son. You can see him unpacking Isaiah 49, saying, you know, we may be forgotten by God, but how can I forget you because your names are written on the palm of my hand. You can see him saying in Isaiah 53, here, here comes the Messiah, this beaten and broken one, who, who is going to bear your griefs and your pain. That's how much you're loved, you see. And such news, such news put a fire in the hearts of those disciples. You know, they, we read here in the text, it wasn't when Jesus revealed himself that they had this fire. It's when they accepted that news that they were ultimately loved by this God who sent his only son into the world to face a suffering death, that there's this fire and passion in them. And I got to ask you, do you have that fire and passion within you? Are you do you have a fire and passion in your life? We're passionate about a lot of things. You know, we, we're passionate about our sports teams. In fact, I, I only had one plaid tie, I mean, uh, pastel colored pop tie. It's a Braves tie, okay. We, we, we are passionate uh, about a, a lot of things. I know after great victories of, of your favorite team, there's hollering and shouting and, and all sorts of hoopla. We were, happened to be in Toronto the time the Raptors won uh, the NBA championship. And I mean, the town went nuts. Are we that passionate about Jesus? Those first disciples that heard the news were so passionate that, as you heard me say, they ran in the dark in in sandals, facing possibility of being mugged and robbed, to tell others that we have seen the Lord. Those of you here that were Thursday night for the wonderful, wonderful Monday Thursday presentation of of the recreation of the Last Supper, You, you heard how each and every one of those 12 disciples, except for Judas, faced some sort of persecution. Many were crucified. Peter and his brother Andrew were crucified upside down. Matthew was stabbed Poor Bartholomew was filleted alive before he was crucified. Would they do that unless they were passionately involved with Jesus? What are you passionate about? You have that fire within you to know that how much you are loved. I pray so. There's an attorney I know in a place that I lived one time that He did very well for himself. Uh, He he was able to be successful in his practice, bought all sorts of big houses and cars, provided uh, very, very, very well for his family. But near the end of his career, he got involved with a project that this church supports as well called Zoe. Zoe is in in Uganda and other places in Africa. And we're, uh, in the name of Jesus, we go and help, Children who are orphaned find a better life and and help support them, help them work for themselves, help them achieve uh, goals in life they couldn't achieve unless Zoe interacted in their lives. And here's what Joe said. He said, I did not know what life was about until I discovered giving of myself in the name of Jesus for the good of other people. You have that? That's what God and Christ wants to give to you, to have a passion that can't be taken from you, that's greater than any sports victory, that's greater than any thrill that you can have climbing a mountain or taking a hike or diving down into the depths of the ocean or flying into the air. It's a passion that Jesus will cause you to have as you let him enter into your life because as we see with these first disciples, Cleopas, the unnamed disciple, and, the, and the, the 12 and the women, they were given hope, given an incredible hope that could not be taken from them. It was said by William Barclay, the, the great Bible commentator, that these disciples were going into the darkness of despair, yet then they turned around And started running to the dawn of a new hope in their lives. It was said by Harry Emerson Fosdick, the great pastor. It said that if if God in Christ can take the cross and turn it into something victorious. God can take any situation in your life and turn it into a thing of hope. For your spiritual well-being. And Peter writes this. In the first chapter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, you have been born anew through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the dead, given a new hope. Who is he writing to? Persecuted Christians in the Roman Empire who are beaten and abused and facing ostracization because of their passion for Christ. How about you? You have that hope, that passion. Y'all saw the video. Y'all saw the video. And and when I go to Ukraine, I'm going to get y'all shirts that said, my pastor went to Ukraine and all I got was his T-shirt. Okay, so (laughs) y'all, you you know, get ready for him. Just let me know your sizes. It might be a while before I go over there, but I hope to God willing to get over there. Because did you see the passion they have for the faith? You see the the new hope that they receive you? Kharkiv is in the northeast corner of, of Ukraine, and the Russians quickly took over that territory. And uh, the pastor Vlad and his friends, and they loaded up cars fuller than any clown car at the circus. If you saw the video that they showed with us earlier, I mean, they had people packed in there. I mean, feet were on top of heads. I mean, they're trying to get out of, out of that area because the Russians, well, they're being pretty brutal. Well... That area is retaken by the Ukrainians. But people were, as you saw, the, their homes, they were bombed out. They're living in basements and in shelters. They're, the Russians are still bombing that area. But because of the love that the New Life Church has for the people in that area, they are going in there and offering hope because of what you all have helped do. And did you see the joy on their faces? They'll go in there, distribute the supplies, they'll hold a worship service, and they'll offer Jesus Christ. And then the bombing will start and they get out of there. But why do they do that? Because they have this incredible hope that no matter what the Russian army is doing, no matter what the tyrants are, are inflicting on them, no matter the suffering, they have this hope that's greater than circumstances hope in Jesus Christ. Christ longs for that for you. For us. That we have a passion as a congregation or living for Him. Offering Jesus to the world. And y'all, if you have that in your life, if you have this hope that can't be diminished, you have this passion for living that only Christ can give us, well, that's some mighty good news, isn't it? Mighty good news. Who are you gonna tell about this Jesus in the coming year? I'm gonna to remember to ask you, who have you told about Jesus in this coming year? Because that's the surest way to show that we're followers, that we want others to know about him too. Let someone know the good news the way you live and what you say and what you give. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we come before you right now, uh, sometimes discouraged, sometimes beaten, sometimes broken, but it is the good news of your love that you've offered to us in Jesus Christ that makes us passionate about living That gives us hope, Lord, of how uh, we can have a future no matter what's going on around us. And Lord, it gives us something for which to live. May we, the people of this good church, be people of hope, offering Jesus through how we live and how we are willing to sacrifice so that others will know of his love. We ask all this in and through him. Amen.